I was in New York, and um, I was getting some toast because you know just wanted some toast. Why for breakfast? For breakfast, it's, good, it's, it's a normal choice. It's good breakfast food. And uh, they they had this thing where they you had different kinds of bread, which you know we don't have in England. <laughs> just bread. It's like you know, if I go to Europe, like Germany has a great selection of breads, right? Like good, good, I miss that bread. Yeah. So in in England, it's like square white, just like you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a brilliant burn. Thank you very much. <laughs> Right, let's start a podcast. This it's, this is uh, a starting. This is a start. It's, it's a podcast. It's a podcast. It's been a while, hasn't it? It's Christmas had happened. I like, was I was about to think, th- trying to remember if we recorded something in January nope. or not, and we did not, and now it's February. So it and it feels late to talk about Christmas. Yeah, I mean, did something happen though? Um, I mean, th- I things happened at Christmas. I uh, one of the things one of the things I put on a talk a list to talk about. Um. Some of my friends from school have kids now, right? You're aware of this. Ha- and this it's concept. Thing that happens. How, yeah. how does it work? I <laughs> we'll talk after the show. Okay, I've got, I've got some websites for you to look at. Um, and so we asked them, it's like, what, what, you know, what do they want for Christmas, right? And my mate Andy just texted back, inflatable palm tree. Just that the three words, inflatable palm tree. Right? What? What? It's like, no, that's that's. What my son would like, he's told me, inflatable palm tree. And Solid choice. Yeah. So we went onto Amazon and searched for inflatable palm That's tree. That's really how it works nowadays, right? Yeah. You want this. I'm going to type it into Amazon. If I can find it, cool. If not, tell me something Because it's else. not the kind of thing that you can just pop to Tesco's <laughs> and go to the... I mean, you can, and they're probably going to be really confused about your question. Go to the inflatable tree aisle and like, <laughs> where's, where's the palm tree? Oh, they only have pine trees. Oh. But they, yeah, and we got, but the ones, ones from Amazon are giant because they're for like, I don't know, parties or sets. How much is an inflatable palm tree? It wasn't that expensive. I can't remember, but we were like, yep, that seems, that seems like a fair price for a kid's present. And, um. And how old is the kid? Or more importantly, how tall is the kid? Uh, well, so that's, that's the thing. On Christmas Day, I was sent a photo of a small child cuddling an inflatable palm tree which is like two and a half times his size <laughs> looking really happy and I just felt I don't think I'm ever going to be that happy in my life ever again as this child with an inflatable palm tree if life would still be that simple I just know. give me a palm tree and now yeah. you have to spend like loads of money to get a new TV and then for one day you're happy and then the next day you're frustrated the configuration just doesn't quite work out yep yep yes, you know I'm going <laughs> I bought a new TV and it's, I'm in the honeymoon period right now, although I'm starting to discover little bits that I don't that like about it. not perfect. This TV is oh, not perfect. I hate TVs. Should we talk about the web? Let's talk about the web. We sh- what, what, what do you want to... You, uh, you've added zero notes. One. One. Two. Two. Oh. Oh, yes, you have. Look at that. Dun, dun, dun. Go on, let's do, let's do one of, let's do one of the, your okay. notes. So, um, we discovered something interesting in Scooch. Yes. So we did the thing. We we added image rotation. Yes. So that's like yes. a whole story. And I think it's, there's lots of interesting bits and bobs in that story. So I think we should talk about it. Yes. So we it. have written Scoosh, an image compressor, mm-hmm. app, web app thing. And you can just load images with it. But something that Scoosh doesn't do is when you load an image, especially with a JPEG image, it doesn't look at the metadata. So often when you take a picture yes. with your camera, and for example, you hold your uh, phone in landscape mode, then it's still saved as a portrait mode, but the exhibitor says this needs to be rotated when you show it. Or the other yeah, way around. It's the other way around. And it's a major pain in the ass, I would say, that yeah, if you put an if you've got an image that has this metadata and do you know the way this metadata's done? No. Like so the, the standard of metadata is EXIF. Yeah. Um, and EXIF is a thing within TIFF, the TIFF file format. Okay. So the way it ends up in JPEG is JPEG has this little like, header section where you can kind of put whatever you want. Uh, Blob of binary metadata. Uh, no, they put a TIFF. <laughs> a whole TIFF container just so it can contain the EXIF data. That sounds very bite efficient. Yes. So that's 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 how it works. And, um, and yes, yeah, so it tells it like, yeah, this is a landscape image, but I want you to rotate it. 
and and it can be rotated in ninety degree angles and flipped. All right. So that the yeah, and browsers do not pay attention to this bit of data. No. Um, I think if you open an image in a tab, it will. Yeah, that might be true. But if you, it's an image tag on a page, it doesn't. Well, yeah. So the problem. Except. Oh. Yeah. Safari. Of course. On iOS. Only that combination. What? And in an image tag, it will read those headers and rotate the image. And it's, it's so weird. That doesn't sound weird. compact. <laughs> no, it's not. It's so weird that that one combination does it. It's that kind of thing where, like, they just call out the operating system. That's and, my guess. Yeah. Yeah. So the operating system does Is the decoding. Have you filed a bug? Um, we oh. like filing bugs. It was. I, I talked to a Safari engineer, and and they said it, it was regrettable uh, that, it, <laughs> that it does this on only iOS. So, uh, iOS. I always call it iOS, and people have called me up that that's not a thing. Uh, I don't mind. Yeah. I, okay. It's, I'm like, gonna stick I, with I, iOS then. Yeah, iOS. Fine. I that's like great. it. It's easier to say. Well, so obviously we have gotten issues around this in Scoosh. They were like, oh, I took a picture with my camera, but it's the wrong side up when I open it. Yes. And we were like, hmm, do we, A, add an EXIF metadata parser yeah. and, and load it the right way around, or, or just add a button that allows you to rotate the image by 90 degrees? Yes. And we did the second one. We Which, might still do the first one. Maybe. I mean, as, you're as, keen yeah. on it. I'm, I don't really care, but maybe. Mm. maybe. It's easy to click a button. Yes, we like, yeah. okay, because we're just talking 90-degree rotation here, that's a very easy, the, the, the easy cases of rotation, yeah. and so you're definitely at four different states. Just add one button. At worst, you have to click it three times. Yeah, and, and the problem is if we do read EXIF data, then we have to overcome the IOS issue. <laughs> because there's... And do detection and all kinds of... It could yeah. be interesting. It could be interesting to turn that into a module, yeah. um, but you know what? We, we solved the use case for now. Yes. So uh, we, the originally, you were looking into this, and uh, obviously you were like, oh, easy. We just put it on a canvas, rotate it, and read it back. Yes. Image rotated. But that would be main, main thread, thread, which yeah. is not good. Because yes. we, we are very you know, conscious about the amount of work we put on the main thread. We already have workers in use, or we actually have a really good worker infrastructure where you can just write a function and put a decorator on it and say, like, this is a task that needs to run in a worker. Yeah, just in terms of the main thread impacts for a, a kind of SLR-sized image, we were for rotating, we were talking um, 300 milliseconds plus yeah. on a high-end MacBook Pro. Yeah. So on a phone or something so we, like that. Yeah, quite we do want to also keep working on Android Go and all these things that yeah. we already run on. Um, yeah, so that was an option. And then we're like, you know what? This might be great to just give off-screen canvas a try. Oh, yes. You said that, actually. Well, we and we knew this was only going to be, because off-screen canvas is only in Chrome right now, yeah. and maybe Firefox, but Firefox might only do WebGL. Well, we could use it as a progressive enhancement, right? Like, exactly. If it exists, use it. Great. Yes. What happened, Jake? Well, there's a bug, isn't there? <laughs> um... And it looked great, actually. Uh, I wrote it all up, and it was, it, yeah, it took about, still took about 300 milliseconds, as you'd expect, but it was in the worker, so it, it didn't matter. It was off screen. It was off the screen. Um, and I went, brilliant. Yeah, well, that's fine. We still have to do something for other browsers, but that's, that's sorted for Chrome. And then uh, I was on the train home, and I was testing it again. Just sitting on the train, rotating, rotating image. Image. Like, Oh, look at this rotation. It's great. What if I rotate it 50 times? Does it still work? You've got to do this kind of testing. And every time I pressed it, it locked up my Mac for like two, three seconds. And there's a bug where... Why, Jake? Why did that happen? We trigger a GPU change. Right. On Mac. And so I the guess MacBook Pros things. have two GPUs, right? They have yes. the integrated Intel one, which is... Uh, less capable, but also saves a lot of battery. Loads of battery. And uh, then they have a proper NVIDIA one, I think, or is it an AMD now? I don't know. AMD, I think. But like a proper uh, GPU, GPU, that obviously has lots of power, but also ease of battery. And so whenever the operating system detects or a program detects, I need that power, it can switch. Switch it over. And that switch. That's what it was doing. And so we traded a 300 millisecond main thread jank for a three second jank across the whole operating system. (laughs) And I didn't notice it while I was coding because um, at work, I connect my Mac to an external monitor, which triggers the... You're already on the high-end GPU. The high-end GPU, so I wasn't seeing the switch. So, um, yeah, that was sad. That bug. So it's interesting because on the one end, you could argue, okay, this is just on desktop, dual GPU devices kind of thing. 
maybe still watching, but then again, it was Chrome only anyway, so we still had to find a solution. Yeah. So we decided to open a bug and explore different avenues. Yes. Didn't we? And so in the end, you ended up writing just a handwrite, a piece of JavaScript, really. Yeah, I was on a plane, and it seemed like a thing I could do without needing references to MDN <laughs> or stuff. It's just well, yeah, moving you get bits in, around. You get in a buffer, RGBA buffer, mm-hmm. and you just need to reorder those pixels so yep. they end up looking rotated. Yep, so create another buffer of the same size, iterate through the buffer, and use some maths to decide where to pick the pixels from. Right, so our first it. attempt, I think you tried it, I tried as well, was to do the the, the maths thing with uh, a matrix. Yes. We we both do DOM matrix, right? We just say, DOM yeah, matrix. we have DOM matrix, it's there, it can rotate points. Yes. Let's just, you know, use the coordinates of the pixels, put them through a rotation matrix, get the target point out. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Yes. Turned out to be not a good Slow. idea. Yes. Probably because Slow our, our hunch is a garbage collector, right? Garbagey? Um uh, yes. Yes, there was Because you couldn't actually transform the point. You would every point you would have to turn into a DOM point and it would produce a new DOM point as a result. But I think it was the float maths that was yeah. the, that was the problem. Because I think we tried it. Or did I try it? One of us. I'm sure someone tried it. I didn't do it with Paul G- Lewis tried it with the GL library, which GL matrix, GL matrix, which doesn't involve any garbage collection. Interesting. And it was still slow. Interesting. So it's the float maths. Oh, that's sad. So yeah, that was slow. So in the end, well, uh, this stuff's fast on in 3D games because they do it massively in yeah. parallel on the GPU. Yeah. yeah, we were doing it pixel by pixel. Um, yeah, and so in the end, you literally just wrote a classic double for loop. Double for loop. Integrated over all the pixels. Integers all the way. Worked great. Did did the work in 300 milliseconds, even it, really big images. Yeah, it was about as fast as the canvas. And then yeah. in New York, I don't know why, but we were um, testing out Squoosh in Edge. Yes. And it turned out that in Edge, rotating a 4K by 4K image took about eight seconds. Yeah, that's a lot longer than 300 milliseconds. Yeah, so in Chrome it was wrong. 300, in Firefox it was about 800 milliseconds, in Safari it was a second... And then edge. Yeah. Seconds. It that, feels like something I should have maybe noticed when I was writing the code originally. But because I don't know why, honestly. I feel like my, my hunch is that their array buffers are not actually backed by array buffers, but just by JavaScript. But it's just a hunch. Really? Oh. I don't know. It's literally just a hunch. But I, because the code is so minimal in what it uses, it's literally a double for loop and yep. index operations on an array buffer. And V8 has traditionally done very well with this kind of code, right? Like it, yeah. all, to its detriment in some cases because it, it, it was very V8 was always very very good at benchmarks but it was sometimes questioned how good it was in real real world code yeah Although, I mean this was a piece of real world code that it did very well at but yeah it, it's sort of very algorithmy rather than yeah. sort of dommy manipulate <laughs> I'm going to stop putting E at the end of words now and so we thought well at, at A that's not good that's not a good experience to wait 8 seconds for a simple rotation hmm um, and B, can we throw more WebAssembly at the problem? Yep, always and, a good answer. And and just coincidentally, a couple days before, I stumbled over Assembly Script. Yes, and I had never heard of this I at all. Didn't either until a couple days ago. And basically, they are. So WebAssembly has this readable text format called WebAssembly West WebAssembly S expression tree. Right. Um, it's fairly readable. It's also fairly arcane. So you can write it. I wrote a little bit of it just to get a feel for what WebAssembly can actually do. Yeah. But AssemblyScript is a more approachable assembly for WebAssembly. Much more approachable. It's basically TypeScript. They used the TypeScript compiler, threw out the TypeScript library and wrote their own to match what uh, what WebAssembly actually can do. And you just write TypeScript. And then you can compile that to WebAssembly. So there's there's a few different types that you need to use, right? You need yeah. to use like I. Yeah. So the, so WebAssembly I64. has four types, maybe five. It's like I32, I64, so 32 bit integers, integers 32 bit and 64 bit, yeah. and the same with floats, 32 floats, 64 bit floats. Right. Um. There's technically also a function and a table, but these don't really matter. Okay. Um. Yeah, and those are the types you have, and then at best you have like a function to load a value from memory at a given address and to store a value to memory at a given address. Yes. That's basically all you got. And that's what all that code was doing. Really? Really. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so 
I thought, you know what, you, your code was already TypeScript. Mm-hmm. So it was actual minimal effort to turn that into assembly script. Mm-hmm. So it's important, I think, you know, that it, assembly script is not a TypeScript to WebAssembly compiler. Assembly script is its own language. It's just incredibly similar to TypeScript. So, for, for example, right now, const has a different meaning in assembly script than it does in TypeScript. They're thinking about changing it. But for them, const is a compile time constant. Yes, I would. Yeah, that difference would have caught me out quite um, badly. But they also have a good error message, so it was easy to change. Just, just let. So, but, I, but I would say, like, looking at that, that, if I needed to write some assembly script, no, if I needed to write some WebAssembly, like I had something that was just not performing well in JavaScript, I wanted to see how well it did in in WebAssembly. Assembly script is where I'd go because yeah. I I could fumble my way through that without too much trouble because yeah. I I don't know C, I don't know Rust, I don't know Go, I don't know the other languages that have a, a you know. WebAssembly to compile target. This thing was pretty much just TypeScript. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think it's interesting because for the first time, we we are tapping into the other use case of WebAssembly. Usually, uh, we have been always pushing for WebAssembly is to tap into the ecosystem, to g- bring all these already existing libraries from the C ecosystem and the Rust ecosystem to the web, Yes, which is what we've been using with Goosh. We use the C mods JPEG library and the C WebP library, and suddenly they work on the web. And now for the first time, we're like, we actually have a raw performance problem. Let's mm-hmm. see if WebAssembly can help. And so, yeah, I, I modified your code a little bit, ran it through AssemblyScript, got a super tiny WebAssembly module. It was around 500 bytes, mm. which is... Uh, I think in the end, gzipping that WebAssembly module was smaller than gzipping and compressing the JavaScript code. Which, oh, that's nice. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Um, and it performed. It, it did. It was slightly slower in Chrome than the JavaScript. We were talking... We were surprised by that. Yeah. So it was around 500 milliseconds with WebAssembly versus 300 milliseconds with, with JavaScript. JavaScript. But these 500 milliseconds carried over to all the other browsers. So all the other browsers got faster. Chrome got a tiny bit slower, but all the other browsers got faster. So that was, that's one of the things that um, uh, AG Dubs uh, Ashley was, was gave a talk in New York about yeah. um, Rust and Wasm, and one of my takeaways from that talk was um, what you get with WebAssembly. Well, uh, what you get with a lot of these uh, statically typed, non-garbage collected languages is you get predictable performance. Yeah. Um, whereas with JavaScript. It, it you know yeah, you have these compilers these optimization stages with JavaScript right like it keeps yep. running and observes it and it's like oh the types don't change I can actually generate a much more optimized version if I bake in these typings that I have observed as assumptions yes and so in these kind of cases it will perform well because we have a lot of looping going on a lot of observation can happen yes and we can generate optimized code which maybe for example Chakra wasn't doing um but if it doesn't do that for whatever reason, or if there's a garbage collection in the middle, your performance of a single run just varies massively yeah. from time to time, whereas WebAssembly doesn't. It was just 500 milliseconds every time. So we then decided, oh, let's just ship this. This is great. It works in all browsers. And then we said, you know what? Just for completeness sake, yes. let's also look at the other languages. I mean, you said this. Sure, because why not? <laughs> um, I was definitely curious. Um, yeah, and the kicker is that and we actually discovered that just AssemblyScript is a super small team. It seems to be two people from what I can tell. Which is amazing work for yes, such a small team. Yes, it's absolutely amazing. And their compiler is just not as smart yet. As a two-person project, I can totally see that you might not have, especially compiler building is not easy. and You need to know all the typing theory and optimizations and whatnot. Yeah, it's, it's in my already... list of things that I will never understand. <laughs> I will never be smart enough to understand that. So. I think you could be. You just need mm-hmm. to put it in the time. But I would just it, need to... It's like, just very different, different from different web. brain and some training and maybe 100 <laughs> years, but yeah, okay. Um, so there were apparently some optimizations that the assembly script compiler just doesn't do yet because writing the code in C, we actually outperform JavaScript even in Chrome. Yes. Yes. So, you, you, so now we've got three versions of the thing, right? We have three versions of the thing. We've got the well, JavaScript version, four. the WebAssembly version, and the C version. Well, we have... And the, the Canvas Java version. Well, then it's five. We have JavaScript. Yes. We have the uh, assembly script. Yes. We have C. Yes. We have Rust. Oh, you did Rust, right? Yes, Rust as well. And I guess the Canvas version might count as Canvas. well. Canvas. So five implementations of the of, same of, function. Or just rotating an this image <laughs> by 90 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the definition of over-engineering? Yes, I think it might be. But results? The results are really interesting. So C actually gave us both a tiny module, again, around the 400, 500 byte marks, mm-hmm. and the fastest performance. C was fastest. C was fast. Sa- fastest. Fast. 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 Fast.
Yeah. Actually, Rust was, was as fast. It was actually faster than Firefox. I don't know why, but the same WebAssembly model performed faster in Firefox than it did in Chrome. Feels like this predictable performance thing I was just talking about has just it's, gone out the window. Well, it's minimal. Like it we, we're minimal. talking, we're talking about plus minus fifty milliseconds on a four K image. Yes, four K by four K. Yes. Um, but Rust was a good chunk bigger, around a kilobyte, which is yes. still, which I looked into. It's mostly that because of the way uh, exceptions and panics are handled in Rust they include the code to generate a nicely formatted string. So turning numbers into string is in there, while in C it is not. Right. Which I see, I see. You could argue should be stripped out for production release. They know about it. They want to work on it. Just not there yet. Okay, okay. Um, assembly script, slightly slower, also extremely small. Yes. So, um, yeah, that was just a really interesting rabbit hole to, to follow. So what's, so what's our recommendations then coming out of this then? Like, it's it's hard. So um, Cause, so one of the things that Rust gives you is this memory safety stuff, right? Yes. Which, and with that, it can do an extraordinary amount of optimization because of the guarantees that you encode in the typing system. Right. And we don't have the same uh, buffer overrun issues in WebAssembly that we do in um, native platforms, right? Yeah. You, you can still overrun a buffer, but it's a buffer that's been provided by the browser. So it's not like you're going to start running into memory owned by other programs on the operating system or other I things. I mean, yeah, that process, can't happen right? on a normal operating system anyway. Because of the but, process model. Yeah. But, uh, but you, uh, could, you could corrupt your own memory. Corrupt your own memory, of course. Which is always um, stupid. Yes. Yeah. Whereas and, Rust, again, that can happen because they have these checks in place. Um, as a what they call a zero cost abstractions, they do these without actually slowing down your performance. Mm-hmm. Um, my my recommendation it's it's hard. So the the downside of the C module is that it's extremely hard to instantiate. Currently, uh, C does a lot of magic in how it sets up the memory chunk that the WebAssembly m- module works on because they're trying to emulate a proper process where there's a stack pointer and a heap pointer and other things. So you can't just load the model and run it. You need to actually know some magic numbers and put them in your instantiation code. And that's usually where WebScript generates the glue code for you. So we had this 500 bytes uh, WebAssembly module with 11K of Uh, JavaScript glue code, which I was able to ditch because I ripped out the numbers manually, but it's just... Not That's a lot of effort. For it's, a... it's it's effort, not a lot of effort, but you need to know what you're doing. Yes. Um, Rust also has Wasmpack, which Ashley, amongst other people, wrote, mm-hmm. um, which basically turns your Rust code into an NPM package. You can just import using Webpack, like straight out the box. It's a super nice experience. Um, Rust tends to be, for small modules, a little bit bigger, Mm-hmm. But I think it amortizes really quickly, usually because once you usually end up formatting strings sooner or later at some point anyway, so that code is going to be bound to be in there, right? Maybe. Um, and their glue code is really small, and they have a really nice binding WASM bind join basically allows you to just pass array buffers from JavaScript land in and back out, and you can just grab references to DOM elements from inside the Rust. Oh, All these really nice. things they figured out for you, which I think is really great. Um, AssemblyScript, I think, is a great tool to get started with WebAssembly. I that was going to be my conclusion. Is is that I mean, I think my recommendation would be just write JavaScript, unless it's going to be significantly faster in Assembly, right? That the only the only reason we went away from our JavaScript solution is because it was so slow in Edge. Yeah, and Curiosity, right? Yeah, this was part of it. And so, but if you find that you do need Assembly for a particular thing. If your team is skilled in JavaScript, yeah, assembly script is your is your closest Could, thing. Yeah, it's it, uh, keep in mind that it's young, and yes. it, the, it doesn't like once you have to do dynamic allocations and these kind of things, um, it gets a bit awkward because then you have to go back to manual memory allocations. They do have helper functions for that, but it's it's just a very young project. It's great and it works, but yes. just keep it in mind that there is more mature toolchains out there. But I just love that suddenly. Through AssemblyScript, the WebAssembly platform has been just made available to the average web developer without yes. having to learn a million things. And of course, AssemblyScript just works as an NPM dependency. You just run an NPM script, and it converts your AssemblyScript into WebAssembly. Which is much simpler than MScript and, yeah. Yeah. Ah, that's, yeah. And I, I, I think Rust is, is a good choice if you know Rust or yeah. if you 
are going to build up a team of writing lots of WebAssembly stuff. Yeah. I, I've been enjoying Rust a lot, but it does have a learning curve, especially if you come from the web, because it's so different to think about this memory ownership model. Basically, they say at the start when you learn Rust, you will experience that you fight with the borrow checker. And I'm not going to explain what it means, but at the start, it might be frustrating. <laughs> Is that a, a man? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> maybe a woman. Could be a woman. The borrow checker could be a woman. I mean, that's how gender this. So, you know. That's true. Should we talk about not the web? Should we t- <laughs> We've never said that on the podcast before. I thought I'd try it. I don't know. It doesn't roll off the tongue, does it? No. Um, we could not talk about... We could talk not about not the web. Oh, Yeah, that was difficult to say. Um, what have you been up to? Um, being sick, mostly. Oh, yeah, you had to flu But thing. But, but uh, there's one story from New York while we're still somewhat mentally in New York yeah. that I wanted to, to share with you because it confused me. Mm-hmm. I was at a theater in New York, and that's pretty the irrelevant, but, but I wanted to, to go... Wanted to, to take a wee because the performance before the performance starts. Yes, um, good time to do. You know, because I I I'm known to. Build you don't want to be that that, that guy, dude. Right. Yeah, uh, right. Excuse me, excuse me. And then uh, two minutes later, love you back in. Sorry, so, sorry, excuse me. sorry. Excuse While me. there's like the yeah. the dramatic silent love scene going on on stage, <laughs> and you're just like, oh, excuse me. <laughs> what did you What did you see at the theatre? Uh, Avenue Q. Oh, it's good. I've seen that. Yeah, it's almost there. They're, they're uh, ending on. Oh, February 17th. So I, I've given a talk on that stage. Well, it was off-Broadway okay. now, so I oh, didn't see I it because I wasn't, okay. wouldn't have been very impressed. Like, right, Jake, it's pretty small theatre. No, oh, yeah, okay. But uh, that sounds cool. It was at Smashing Conf, yeah. It was their oh, Broadway uh, thing. They had the whole set there. Oh, the set was still there. The set was still there, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah it was you know, actually still Avenue Q, just not on this night. Well, I thought it would If be... people came to see Avenue Q, they'd be incredibly disappointed <laughs> about me talking about the event loop. It's like, it's not as funny as I heard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would have thought that they put like a little screen up to project their own branding on stage or something. No, they just used the, the Avenue act, Q stuff. Act, that's actually pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, it was really, it was lovely. You could like walk up the little house and give you a oh, talk from the top. We were told very much that we were not allowed to, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> when no one was looking, I looked around the set and walked up the stairs. Yeah, uh, yeah, of course I did. So would anyone. I was, they did some some pretty nifty quick movements behind that. Set mm. because I don't know. Either way, what I was uh, so good. Do yes. I recommend you're having weekend? a wee before? Uh, well, I was planning to, so I just walked in to the bathroom. The usual scenario: a couple of urinals on the wall, trying to pick one. But when I was trying to figure out which urinal I wanted to walk towards, yep, one of so the empty ones, mostly. Yeah, we've, yeah. <laughs> we've done that before. We discussed this before. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Oh, we discussed this, not done this. We discussed this. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a dude standing. Somewhat extremely... Legs akimbo. Yeah, that's pretty unnecessary, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. But then I realized he was standing there, both hands above his head with the phone in his hands. What? Reading something. Two-handed phone? Yes. Two hands on his phone, which is odd in itself. Who two-hands their phone? Yeah, at this point, it's showing off. And also, who two-hands their phone to freehand... The rest of your body. So I think I figured out why he spread his legs. It's because he needs to lower himself down. Because did he? Do you think he rested? No. <laughs> well, your your chance of error with freehanding, it's an it's an error that I'm not comfortable take. I'm not a freehander. Absolutely not a freehander. <laughs> but if I were that... to freehand, I would give. The, <laughs> I would do this spreading legs, just sort of lower myself in. <laughs> Go into the splits. Just... <laughs> <laughs> dun, 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 dun. If you've seen 2001 Space Odyssey, and then, and then once I'm fully docked, get the phone out and uh, off I go. And I was wondering, like, so on one hand, I found this really irritating that he's freehanding it. On the other hand, how phone addicted is this person really that you can't even take a wee without looking at? He wasn't, as far as I could tell, he wasn't chatting. Like it wasn't like he was in a. He wasn't in, taking a call or <laughs> like, yeah, or chatting an important group chat. No, no, he was reading. Something. Just reading something. And I feel like... You've got to take every moment of your day. You can't afford to... We've gone too far. You can't afford to spend time on the toilet without looking at it. No. How, how dare you start thinking? You need to read more. <laughs> Maybe, I no, this is not okay. I can't even... I was trying to empathize no, with him. And I can't... It's not there's like, no reason to, to do this. And those are the people that then, you know, that they, they, they lower themselves down. And then, you know, there's a banana peel and they slip and then... <laughs> We everywhere. <laughs> Before you know it, you're lying on the floor. 
weeing into your own face. <laughs> just using We've your phone. We've all been there. Using your phone as a shield because that's what you have in your hands. <laughs> no, I agree. No, I'm not. Um, and for some reason, this situation just burned itself into my brain. It would, yeah. I think, I think it's one of those things that you might not have noticed if it weren't for the spread leg yeah. <laughs> yeah. docking situation. <laughs> oh. Uh, should we talk about the web? <laughs> Let's go back to the web. That was probably better when we talked about the web. Uh, what, what have you been doing? What have I been up to? Um, let's. So I, after New York, because you know, one of the reasons we haven't recorded a podcast is we've been on travels. Yeah, uh, especially went, you. You did the, the double hop. I went to San Francisco afterwards. Um, oh, just for the record, I did make it into New York. Oh, yes, we weren't sure whether you would. And it I was did. all fine, passport fine, all everything good. Everything great. Yeah. Um, and you... Met your uh, other half? Yes. We were, we were on the same plane this time. Good. We flew out because if something would go wrong, it would go wrong for the both of us. Yes. Make sure you go through security first. So your yeah. passport's all checked. All good. So San Francisco, I was amongst a lot of the Chrome team. So I was, I found out interesting things that I don't usually find out stuck in the UK office on a time zone that's largely incompatible with the company <laughs> I work for. Um, such is our life. Such is life. Um so we haven't really talked about Edge and Chromium. Edgium. Edgium. I guess and now we can talk about it a little bit, at least, for what do we know. Yeah, I'm... Not that we know anything, really. Other, well, other than what other people know, right? That it's, yes. It's happened. Um, for the record, I actively try to not get inside scoops on these kind of topics, and I can't, you know... Blab something yeah, accidentally. I can't blab accidentally. I literally just see the publicized articles, and that's all I know. So people who ask me, oh, do you have an inside scoop? I don't. No, no, very rarely do and as that's well. By design, um, and, uh, yeah, it, there's there's a lot to, that we could discuss. That I don't know. Maybe we should stay away from whether it's a good thing or a bad thing because we've definitely we're definitely biased. Yes, of, uh, I I feel really sad about losing an engine, another engine. Yeah, I was really sad when Presto went. Yeah, I'm really sad again, and I do worry about what it means for the future of the web. Not that we know what it means, but there is certainly justification to be vigilant and a bit worried yes. because we, we we remember the last monoculture yes i think we are all aware that this is heading towards a monoculture and we don't want to have the same side effects as the last monoculture no so and i think most of the chrome leadership and the microsoft leadership are aware of that and probably going to work hard on not ending up there yeah but then again i don't think it was microsoft's intent back in the day to end up where they ended up it, it wasn't the Internet Explorers team. Yeah, uh, maybe. They got de-staffed because it seemed not to be an area worth competing in once you've won. And that's, that, that is the thing Microsoft did that was really bad. And yeah. that's what we still give them stick for. Um, but the you know, new Microsoft is, is apparently not like that. And it certainly doesn't look like that from what they've done so far. Yeah. Um, I, I, like I say, I'm I'm worried about the future of of the monoculture thing, but I'm also trying to keep an open mind about it and see what Chrome does. Like Chrome needs to do something to make sure that uh, these like other players uh, like Samsung, like Opera, like Microsoft now that they have uh, a decent amount of say, yeah, uh, and sway, and that it becomes sort of maybe more akin to how Linux is developed. Yeah, so I, I I'm worried about it but I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens and I hope yeah Chromium steps up and and does everything they can to for it not to be a bad situation but okay that's not what I was going to talk about one of the things I'm really excited about is some folks from Microsoft are going to look at putting ClipPath onto the compositor yes and for anyone who hasn't heard me rant about this before when we do animations on the web we recommend staying away from anything that paints especially stay away from things like layout Mm-hmm. So that means your animations are really changing opacity and transform. And that's pretty much all you got. And that's pretty much all you got. So you can spin things around, make them bigger, smaller, because that can just be put onto the GPU. It's a really cheap operation. And um, we can move it, just let the whole animation onto the compositor and everything's great. Yep. Clip path. Well, okay, so I should say there's a lot of animations we do, um, or like you see on native, involve that just moving stuff around Yep. But they quite often also involve cropping and uncropping. Like, you've got a little image, you press it, it grows to expand, but it might yep. also sort of widen, or something. it might yeah. be a square thumbnail, and it widens to be like a landscape image. Yep. 
Uh, and doing that on the web is near impossible. It's possible. Yeah, so you end up putting... I wrote an article on this, and it's yes. so hard to do that it's pr- virtually impossible to do without ripping your head. Yeah. So because we can only do basically transforms in opacity, scaling yeah. being a form of transform, what you can do to make this expanding crop effect, yeah. you can put your content inside another container. That's overflow hidden. That's overflow hidden. Yeah. And then basically scale up the container and do the exact inverse scaling on the content. So the content actually stays yeah. the same size, and then it is magically fast. But it's stupid, and also it has like slight rounding errors, so text will look slightly blurry while the animation is going on. And as soon as you introduce things like easing, you then have to do the reverse easing. Which is extremely hard. Which is extremely hard. I think in the article we actually pre-calculated it with like 100 Keep frames in a keyframe animation Ugh. because you couldn't actually make it happen with just a cubic busy. So it's yeah, basically right now it is bonkers. It's it's unfair to expect developers to do this. And the fu- and the weird thing is, knowing what a GPU is capable of, doing a cropping can be done on the GPU quite easily. Yes, and we have a CSS instruction that is very closely matches that, and it's clip path. Yeah, it's display just this part of the element. And that animates, so you can say display just this part and animate to displaying this yeah, part, you can, which I think is your you own have cropping. A couple of command, you can like create your own polygons to define a shape where you want the clip to happen. Yep. And you can animate this polygon, or I think even the circle is technically possible. Yeah, you can do shapes, all, all the CSS shapes. Um, so yeah, it's there, but for some reason, it is not implemented on the CPU uh, on the GPU. It's implemented on the CPU. Yes, and it, and Safari does implement it on the GPU. Ah, I didn't uh, know that. They already do. And that makes it a lot faster than Chrome's implementation. Um, so what the way Chrome's implementation works is when you provide a clip path, it generates a mask yeah. on the main thread. And the... Well, not necessarily on the main... Th- yeah, I think it is the main thread. Or it's certainly the painting thread. Um, at least not on the GPU. At least not on the GPU. So it generates this mask. Which is the same size of the element that you're masking, right? And it's a bitmap mask. Yeah. It has to upload that to the GPU... And then the GPU applies that as a as a mask. Every frame. Every f- well, every time it changes, yeah. During Which, an animation. On animation. I mean, we were aiming yeah. anyway. If you just want to clip something, then it's fine. You don't need to put it on a GPU. Yeah. Right Safari now. is much more efficient. It does it as a, a shader mm-hmm. um, where it can. Yeah. Um, but when you do an animation, it's still adjusting that shader via the main thread. Interesting. So I mean, that's usually how shaders work. You have like little parameters that you pipe in. But then the well, but we have to compose. If you're doing a transform animation, it's the compositor thread providing those values. Oh, that's how you. Oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. So the the in Safari much more efficient. But if you've got like your you know fancy animation mm. whatever with with some clip path, if if anything blocks the main thread, it will also block that animation. Eh. Which is sad. Yeah. Um, better, but, but still sad. Better, but still sad. And yeah, so Microsoft folks uh, are looking at improving this for uh, Chromium, which are really, like, they're, they're looking to move it to the um, GPU, like it is in Safari, but also move the animations to the compositor thread. So you'd be able to animate those things without without blocking. And for some people coming new to a project, that's a big task. I wish them the best of I luck. Mean, and, it would be a, and I hope we the, shout the, the really loud about... know their stuff. Oh, absolutely. Right? Yeah, well, the, their graphics stack was always fantastic. Yeah, uh, but just coming into a new project where everything's in a different shape, uh, building for multiple operating systems, I, uh, yeah, if they if they pull this off, I will be shouting loud about how much I love Microsoft for this because I have wanted this in the browser for years now. Well, they're also looking to put a lot of engineering staff on improving accessibility, which yes. I think that was one of the first moves. Like, no, no, we're going to spend time on accessibility, and I think that's great. Because it's it's so weird on the web, so I'm hoping that they will help out with um, you know Alice Boxall's AOM yes. and all the efforts that come around it and with it. If we can speed up that, uh, just be so good so we can stop, maybe stop doing weird aria label dances and just be a bit more clear yep. and direct in how we implement these things. And I think they're looking to do service worker stuff as well, which is nice. Oh, yeah. So that that's this is the whole mixed feeling I have is yeah. we've got these extremely talented engineers now doing and stuff on Chromium picking up things that they prioritize. So it, it, we mm. don't actually so Chrome as a project doesn't actually have priorities. 
it's Google and the Google engines that have priorities, what needs to get implemented quicker and what doesn't need to get implemented, right? So if yeah. Microsoft has different priorities, they are very much free to work on those things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And th- I think that's, that is one of the, the upsides of this whole project. That hopefully, a, at least a diverse set of priorities will help make Chrome good. Yeah. Or Chromium, I should say, make Blink good. So that Blink maybe becomes like a reference implementation of all the specs that are out there. Yeah, so, so the yeah, the positive way to look at the edge situation is there were a whole bunch of extremely talented engineers whose daily time was spent on catch up work. Yeah. Like the the stuff that you know has already been implemented. Yeah. The stuff that people are angry about because it's not an edge. That's the stuff that they <laughs> were elements. doing every day. Custom elements. Um yeah, uh readable streams. Like there's loads of stuff, right? Everyone can name a few things that, are, that aren't in Edge that they would like in Edge. Um, so the positive side is that those people are now not doing stuff that's already done elsewhere. It's new stuff. Yeah, they actually or, or get to create big improvements and stuff. Like, yeah, so I, yeah, I'm excited about that. But yeah, that's it. Clip path on the compositor. Uh, there's no deadline for it. Like, no, f- it could uh, it could all fall apart. Like, if if I don't think has anything landed yet from the Microsoft people? I don't think so. Right? I I think yeah? some CS yeah? yeah, CS hasn't landed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually not kept up with that detail. There was a there was definitely a tweet that went around uh, of like here is the first CL from Microsoft engineers into cool. Chrome. So, yeah, that's definitely happened. But yeah, it's I mean, I hope they ship it tomorrow. I mean, it's it's a big task, but Yes, please Microsoft. Thank you very much Microsoft. More of that, please. <laughs> oh, what else what else have we been up to? It was in New York. And um I was getting some toast. Because, you know, just wanted some toast. Why For breakfast? For breakfast. It's, good, it's, it's a normal choice. It's good breakfast food. And uh, they, they had this thing where they, they had different kinds of bread, which, you know, we don't have in England. Just, bread? <laughs> just like, you know, if I go to Europe, like Germany has a great selection of breads, mm. right? Like good, good, I miss that bread. Yeah. So in, in England, it's like square, white. Just like you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a brilliant burn. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's it, yeah. That's yeah. That's... <laughs> oh, I like that. I'm gonna put that on my uh, on your Twitter, Twitter bio. <laughs> they, <laughs> they, there must be an emoji for that as well, right? Toast, toast, white bread. There must Probably. be. Yeah, we'll get on it. And so I, anyway, so I was at the the, the thing where you had to pick the bread, and I was picking an interesting bread because I, you know, thought I'd. Is is that it. the the adjective that you're looking for on your? Breakfast meal, interesting. Interesting, yeah. You want to start the day off interesting. <laughs> it looks That's green. Interesting. Looks, oh yeah, I mean, I would definitely say I was going for interesting to eat. Interesting, but edible. But edible, yes. Right? I, I would say edible was top of my list. That that seems like a good idea. <laughs> With interesting second, but I had the you know possibility for both. I was like, I'm going to have, and there was a little bit of um. It was a bit of a queue. There was like a couple of people behind me as I was deciding the bread. So I kind of went went in quickly. Um, and as I touched the tongs, I got a, I got one of the biggest static shocks I've ever had. Ooh. And I don't know. I don't know if you experienced it, but they, I was having static shocks all over the all over that office. I no, got, just I me. No, yeah, just you. But uh, but just maybe your hotel room floor is like the kind of where you, you walk on and you get statically charged. Well, the the window in the hotel room didn't work, so I oh, wouldn't that, expect that the probably... wiring was also broken <laughs> as well. Um, but yeah, so I touched it. I got a huge static shock, and you know what you do when you get like a small electric shock. Is I jolted back with, yeah. with my hand, but it was one of those things where they had like the glass pane sort of over the top of the bread. Yeah. So my hand just shot back and I hit the the glass, and the guy next to me just sort of looked at me as like, "What is your problem with the bread?" <laughs> you know, because obviously only I know it was a static shock. He just thinks. Oh, like there I, wasn't like a big lightning bolt jumping from the tongue onto your. No, hand. it wasn't that impressive. It just looked like I flinched away from the bread, <laughs> like I'd had a, a sudden terrifying <laughs> oh, moment, <impressive>. like <laughs> oh, the bread and. And then so this guy sort of looks at me like, "What? What is your problem?" And and I was like, oh, "Sorry." So I thought, "If like just get out of this situation as quickly as possible, get my bread and go." Uh, but I had like the, the plate in one hand, so it was really I, it was just a hand that I just used the, that I needed to go back in and get the bread with. But I'd hit my hand just sort of on the back of my hand, I sort of pointing just on the wrist, but where all the tendons are. Ah, oh, nice. 
And it turns out that if you do that hard enough, your hand doesn't work. So I went in to get the bread again, <laughs> but I just sort of ended up stroking it because <laughs> I couldn't grip. I, and I'm sort of just stroking the tongs. This guy next to me is now <laughs> still looking at me like, now what are you doing? You've, you, you were scared of the bread. Now you're stroking the bread. What's your problem? Bread arouses me. <laughs> <laughs> this is my thing. This is my breakfast. <laughs> and, uh, and, and yeah, I had to sort of put the plate down and get the thing. And my hand still hurts. Today? Yes. I can grip now. Um, that actually came back within a minute. But um, yeah. Can it, you still feel? I can. What well, I mean, what kind of feelings are we talking about? Sadness? <laughs> I can't. No, that's just can the feel standard, sad. you know, mental state in England. I can. Yeah, I can feel sadness. So that Constantly. Through, through my hands, <laughs> through my fingertips. That's my superpower. Yeah, I and it just it just feel, it feels like kind of one of those basic human interactions that I managed to mess up to a large degree. And uh, you could have just explained yourself. Oh yeah, that way. you know you could say I got static. I wait, it's not I, no, that's stat- not going to work. It's like you turn around. Oh, okay, so uh, what just happened there, right? Was I got a static shock? Get and, flip and what you saw a flip chart. A, a flinch, and. Uh, and now I, I can't grip. I mean, because if someone started explaining to me that at breakfast, I'm like, mate, get out of the way of the toast. <laughs> you're, you're, you're blocking the line. Yeah, you're creating a blocking situation when it comes to toast. And I, I would love to hear this story. Um, maybe instead, do it on a podcast. And I was like, okay, that's what I'll do. <laughs> True. <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> True story. <laughs> that's how all our podcasts are made. <laughs> That story in my head about the toast in the hand was a lot more interesting when I wrote it down as a note than it actually was delivered. (laughs) (laughs) I realised that the story doesn't really have an ending other than I hurt my hand. (laughs) And that seemed noteworthy to bring up on the podcast. I mean, yeah. We should talk about the web. What what am I going to talk about? Um, Let's do a quick one. In the spec, this morning... A oh, time of recording. Hot off the press. Um, well, I guess it happened last night because that's how time zones work. But uh, the stream were spec... Were time zone last night? Um, no, but other people were. Oh. Um, the stream spec people who are in Tokyo, uh, specifically Adam Rice, who landed this, uh, async iteration has landed in the stream spec for streams. Oh, that is exciting. I think it's very exciting. Um, so for context, for currently, context. when you have a stream... Yes. And you want to read it. Yes. You get a reader. You do. And then you do a, f- usually you do a for loop inside an async function and you call await read. Yep. And then if it's done, you return. And if not, you keep going. Yeah, it gives it gives you an object with two properties, value and done. Very yeah. much like, like an iterator. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just loop over a stream? Exactly. Yes. And that is, we have async iterators in the platform already. We have had for a while. Have they shipped a stable? Yes, yes, they have, ah. yep. along with the for await loop. So in JavaScript, you write for await const something of something, yeah, and it creates this this async iterator. Yeah, um, I'll put a link to an article it's about it. It's basically the same as an iterator, but, but the function is async. It's, it's a promise. Async. You get a promise that gives you the next value, and you can't get the next one before. The, actually, you can get the next one. Nope, you can't. It, well, wait, you can, but it'll wait on the previous yeah. one. Yeah. It, yeah, it all just sort of works. It's brilliant. It's very good. Uh, so yeah, the the idea is like you want to be able to once you've got a stream, which you would get from a, a response. Uh, response dot body is a is a readable stream. You would be able to iterate over it just by doing for await const bytes of response dot body. That that's really what I want. Yes. So it means you um you've got your stream. Mm-hmm. You've got uh. A get iterator function on, on that. the stream or on the reader on the stream, so it implicitly gets we'll the get reader. reader. Yeah, and and it takes a. An does the reader also have an async iterable I symbol? Don't think it does. That seems weird. Um, no, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> I've decided no. <laughs> well, okay. So the prevent can- you've got this prevent cancel option on the iterator, which is saying once I'm if I break out of this loop, yeah. don't like leave it open. It's the same as the prevent close on the transform stream, isn't it? Yes, it is, it is basically the same. So that means that you could iterate over like, the first five items of a stream, yeah. break out of that, and then the next get thing. a reader yourself and, and do the rest. So yeah. it, it, it works without having it on the reader. Um, 
but the async iterator symbol yeah. um, is a shortcut to get iterator. So you would oh, only oh. ever need to call get iterator if you needed to pass in prevent cancel. Otherwise, you can just do the thingy magic. Yeah. yeah, for bytes of. I kind of want it on both the stream, the readable stream, and the stream reader to be iterable. Yeah. <laughs> Make it happen. Shut up, son. Go and open an issue. Why don't you? Just stop pouring scorn on this wonderful <laughs> thing. Never happy, are you? No. <laughs> so when will it land in Chrome? That's a good question. Well, um, Adam did the spec bits. It seems fairly low effort, to be honest, but I might be absolutely wrong. Well, you can polyfill it, right? I exactly. Because like, it's in the article, so it is just That's a probably how my, 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 the way I judge is like, I can write it in JavaScript. Therefore, it must be easy. It's, yeah. <laughs> and... Yes, I imagine it is a reasonably small implementation. Just you know, make sure you know due diligence with all the testing and all of that sort of stuff. Oh, can't be bothered. And, <laughs> but Adam, I imagine will do the implementation as well. Yeah, and uh, and ship it. So yes, I, I I would expect to see it in Canary soon. I don't know. For sure I throw when, but... that. I'll throw that into my um, observables with streams mini library. Yes, because I think it will actually make the code significantly smaller. Yes, for event of. Yeah. Event listener. As you said, like, just yeah. like the, take the first five elements. Like, cool. Actually, that would probably not be, but any, anything else where you like just loop over everything, the f- map implementation or filter implementation yes. should be very small. Very nice and easy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that landed. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So, before we go, and I think this might be getting to be a long podcast, but I want to talk about streaming element. I've been uh, looking at streaming include. Explain. I shall. <laughs> Thank you. Computer, enhance. <laughs> so, um, there's this issue on the HTML spec. Um, and what people want is essentially some way to have content from another source appear inside an element. I should say the reason I'm looking at this is because I, I see sites like GitHub where if you do a navigation, what they do is they download all of the data for the next page. They do a, a single-page app-style thing, download all the data. They fetch it. They fetch it, and then they take the text of what they fetched, and they write it to inner HTML of a particular element, and that's what does the page switch. And that's why they have their own little loading progress bar at the top, and you can see that on a... Like, we have a connection here in the office that goes to, like, 20 megabytes a second to the inter- interwebs. Yes, pretty fast. Still takes about eight seconds to just load up an issue, <laughs> and yeah, and you end up in a situation on, a, especially on a slower connection, where it is quicker on GitHub to open your page in a new window than it is to click the link in the same window, and that's because if you open it in a new window, it does a server render, and you streaming. get the streaming. Yes, as soon as it reaches the first couple of comments, it can start rendering. So to demystify that word, it basically means the browser starts showing the content the second it has something to show, even if it hasn't fetched the. In- Entirety of yes. the document, right? And and that for me, not always in, in like a streaming parsing sense, but most of performance work, uh, especially boot up performance, load time performance, yeah. is based around this idea of you know load just what you need for the thing and yeah. do the thing, and then do the next thing. I mean, that's like, why we've been fighting so hard against blocking CSS and blocking JavaScript because yes. it stops the streaming from happening. So code splitting, that's a big part of this. Just yeah. like, And then you can just load stuff in blocks rather than loading everything before doing And anything. I think that's also, for me, the most distinguishing feature in the base assumptions between a native app and a web app. Because that's where, yes. on a web, on a native app, you can assume everything is there, everything can be loaded pretty much immediately, and it allows you to do many different things, or in a much simpler way. On the web, you have always to think about streaming and loading, and it changes the entire mental model around how you structure your code, how you manage it, how you load it. Yes, it do. Yes. Um, so, I want to solve that problem. I want to provide a way for you know GitHub to do what they're doing now, but stream in the content. So yeah. it only has to load those. You can still do the single page app thing, but they can you know since so they've downloaded the first content. So that would work with partial content, or how is it different from an iframe? Right. So this is the this is where it's sort of up in the air. I I create a, a hack around this with iframes with with an iframe. Yes, by taking a fetch and. The only way we can get access to the browser's streaming HTML parser is via document.write. That's the only way to inject content into the parser. Yeah. So essentially, we'd take the fetch content, create a hidden iframe, start document.writing 
the stuff into the iframe. And mm. as elements start appearing in the iframe, which you would use a mutation observer, as elements start appearing in the iframe, pull them out, put them in the document. Adopt them into the top-level document. Yes. And because those elements will appear as soon as the opening tag appears, yeah. you can adopt it into the parent document. At that point, without actually the insights of the contents being there, right? Uh, yes. And now I document.write in the iframe, and the elements will automatically appear in the document. Magic. It's amazing. It's amazing that that works, but it does work. How did you even figure out to try that? Because I would have not thought that basically... Basically, what this shows is that the once the node is created, it's an actual reference, and you can move it between documents, and it will still be the exact same elements. It was... Well, it was two things. I I knew that because I'd looked into the parser in the spec. Oh. And that's... It actually prescribes that. Yes. Yes, you, you're... you're um, the streaming parser has a, a kind of a reference to a place in the document where the elements are going to appear. And... And so that that works with um, regular document loading as well. Like if you move elements during the document load, it will do the right thing. Um, well, the right thing. It does a thing, and the thing is streaming. <laughs> so, um, and then it was just the amount of time saying like, "Oh, I wish we had a streaming parser. I wish we had access to streaming parser." And I think someone else went, "Well, we do with document .write, but we can't use that." And I was like, "Oh, hang on." Maybe we could in a knife. And Especially with a two G intervention, your hack would horribly fail. But um, it proves a nice point. Yes. Okay. So what Sam was talking about there is we have a feature policy that's not specced yet. We have an intervention that is already shipped and has been for a long time. Oh, so that's so. What are the details of the intervention then? When you're on two G, document dot right gets locked. So I wonder if it, if that applies. To an iframe as well. I, I am trying to get this rule changed to say that a document.write is only blocked if the um, the streaming parser, uh, the the document loading parse mm -hmm. HTML thing is happening. And if you document.write outside of that, you're fine. That Which sense. in an iframe, I mean, it's, it, it's yeah. not loading; it's loaded. Yeah, and so you, and I think part of it is, is if your document .write call implicitly calls document .open, then it's fine. And then if the document yeah. is opened by JavaScript, then it's fine to document .write. I, I went through the spec and thought, like this, this is the set of rules that makes my thing okay, <laughs> but still the intervention works for the the thing it's intended to stop. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yes, and there is a feature policy that's intending on doing the same thing. So okay, yeah. so to circle back, that is your hack. That is my hack. Um, so it's about, can we create an API around it that at least hides the hack? Um, we've got these things called layered APIs. Um, well, they're not layered APIs. It's kind of built-in modules, I think we're calling them now, uh, which is like web standards that are higher-level things that yeah. you can already do, but it's a way that you can import them as modules. They're built yeah. into the browsers, um, and this is, one of, this is one of those things. We'll link to it in the, in the show notes. We'll, link, we'll, we'll provide a link. But yeah, so that's the idea. Is like, can you can we provide just a web component um, streaming dash element uh, or streaming dash include? I imagine. Okay. No point putting the word element in an element, right? And then you would add a source, and it would just have the, those contents as its inner HTML, so to speak. Yes. So it's not like an iframe, as it doesn't have a separate document. It's not like an iframe because it will also expand. Yeah, you know, which is an important us. difference because if you've ever done this with iframes, you have to start doing the post-message communication to size the iframe from the outside with the size you get from the inside. Exactly. Which is so annoying. And it's a mess. Um, so, yeah. So, it, that would basically mean you could suddenly have streaming CSS? Oh. Um, no. Right? No? Why? What? Because if I, if I set the streaming element source to a file that has a style tag with inline CSS, it would basically kind of stream the CSS, right? It would, but the... So, here, fun, fun parser fact. Oh, no. <laughs> no one has ever put the word fun before parser fact before, <laughs> but I'm going to try. Um, with web components, your um, constructor is called as soon as the parser finds the opening tag. Mm-hmm. And is connected happens as soon as that is in a document. So your your the innards of that component might not be fully parsed yet. And this is a real gotcha with web components. Something like oh. everyone gets wrong, including me. Um, 
because it wants to stream. So if your web component is around 100k of content, your web component's constructor and connected callback will happen while the innards haven't been fully added into your web component yet. And that's why you can't rely on is connected uh, um, or the connected callback. What is it? Connected callback. It's connected. But callback. it has also is connected on on the instance Element. itself. Right. But connected callback is the callback. Call- you ca- yeah. You can't rely on that to know the contents are ready because yeah. there's no concept of contents ready because contents can change throughout the life of the element, right? Yeah. Um, except there are a couple of elements in that do rely on doing something after the closing tag. And they are style. True. And script. Huh. And there might be others, but those are definitely two of them. Because they only do stuff with their contents once the closing tag has been reached. And there is probably no good way to do that right now with custom elements. Is there, there is no good way of doing that with custom elements. Interesting. Uh, I did raise this. There is an issue about it. And I, I, I ran into this issue with how to components back then because we were trying to set up things depending on our content, but we didn't know our content. We didn't know when we would know our content. Well, that's... So yeah. the the reason I got pushed back on this thing is because I, I wanted a callback to say, you know, closing element found yeah. something, whatever. Yeah. whatever I get it. Um, and they were like, we don't want to add this because we think most developers will use it incorrectly. And so the idea is with a custom element, you you would never want to do that because you would just react to contents appearing in your thing. Yeah. Because that can happen at any point. The only time that you would want this callback is if you were creating uh, an element which contained a different language that you wanted to do something with and yeah. you couldn't do it streaming. CSS, JavaScript. My, I think yeah, I think my current workaround idea would be a mutation observer, and you check on every mutation if now there's an element after my element. Yes, that's horrible. But, but you because if you have a script in your elements, that could create an element after your element even mid parsing. Yeah, it's it's yeah, great. I'm glad we extended the podcast to talk about the, the frustrations of standardization, <laughs> the minutiae of the parser in HTML. <laughs> Um, but yes, so I've, I've, there's, a, there's an HTML thread where everyone is saying what they want from this element. Not started by me. Uh, this has been going on for years. Uh, people want, um, you know, when they author documents, they're like, why do I have to have the server add my header and footer into every page? Why can't this be referenced? That's stuff? a fair point. Yeah, that can be separately cacheable, and, uh, which I think is... Pre- I, I remember when I first got into web development, I... I encountered this. Yeah. I was like, why is this not a thing? Iframes, okay, but they're not quite good enough because of the height yeah. thing. And it's a separate document. It's weird. Um, and there's, it feels like there's consensus around wanting this, but everyone in the thread is talking about something slightly different. Some people want a seamless iframe, which was a thing. No yeah. longer a thing. Uh, some people want, like... You know, if you have three of these on the page, they load in parallel, like iframes would. Mm-hmm. Some people want them to be literally like server-side includes, but on the client. And that raises all kinds of weird questions yeah. about what happens if one of these server-side includes ends in a it, uh, opening HTML comment. Does it comment out the rest of the document? That also suggests that the loading that include blocks the rendering of yeah, the rest that's of the actually, content. Yeah, it seems like it should be scoped. Like an element, like whatever ends up in there, even if it's incomplete HTML, it won't like suddenly comment out the rest of the document just because it's been... But you've got the problem, if it it does load in parallel, you're going to have the same problem you have with images where it's going to take up zero height until it knows it doesn't take up zero height. And so, but if you've got the content loading in parallel, your header is going to, your header is going to appear later and shift all the content down. And because it's streaming HTML, it might not shift once. It might shift many times, you know, yeah. like as, as it parses the rest of the content. So it's figuring out all of that stuff. And in this issue, you've got people who are seemingly agreeing with each other, but they disagree on those points. And I, I don't know if they've realized it yet. So the thing I'm trying to do right now is find, it feels like find some consensus. feels like you need to be strongly use case driven and just figure out, like, what is the problem you're trying to solve and which, which approaches solve which use cases. Yes, and the the problem we've got is, yeah, do we, do we want to solve just the GitHub case, like the SPA case, or is it a server-side include on the client? 
use case, and they're very slightly different. True. And I mean, I'm always a big fan of. Uh, I always think about my WordPress blog. How much I had to write just to get a nice transition between my individual pages, and mm-hmm. how much magic I had to do to make something like the header and the footer cacheable by itself. Yes. Um, so uh, reducing, you know, JavaScript, as Alex Russell says, is the, the carbon dioxide of our generation, right? So if you can reduce <laughs> it, that's good. Um, they, oh, we shouldn't get into this because it's we're running long already. But we can do it next time. <laughs> well, I'll just, well, I'll just say this so we can put it in the show notes as an interesting thing to look at. But in, in terms of the doing transitions stuff, a streaming document thing becomes a problem because every time it adds content onto the page, it's going to be doing a style, a layout paint. And you do not want that happening halfway through your nice transition. Well, it seems like containment thing. and display locking would synergize with that. We, then again, with yes. the transition, you might want to, for example, with, with uh, yeah, if you have a streaming element for a transition, what you would probably want to do is you want to stream it off screen until you fill the screen. Yes. Then fade it in and then continue streaming. And you would use... Um, Another proposal that's happening right now is display locking. Yeah, as your way, and display locking is essentially a way of saying, "Stop painting this." Yeah, it so will it, still do like the DOM manipulations in the background yes. and attend, append content, but it won't update on screen until you say you are free to update now. And that's that's great because uh, perfect for this use case. Yeah. You say stop painting, do your nice transition in, and you could rely on then it's it's not going to lay out and all of that sort of stuff. And then once it's in place, unlock it, and it will. Yeah. Render of content. Yeah. I, I, there's a lot of problems with that spec. I think it's the first podcast where we have talked about more things not on the list than on the list. Yeah, exactly. We had a very short list, didn't we? <laughs> but it turns out it's been a while since we did this. So Out of practice. It's, it's, probably, it's probably fine for us to have run long. That means we will hopefully get back to our roughly, roughly our schedule. Scheduled right? programming. Yeah. yeah, we should. Like Once a month is usually what, we, month, yeah. what we aim for. Yeah, we've got to do some video work as well at some point. Oh, yeah, we, next oh. week? Is that next week? Is it? I don't know. There's something in the calendar. And I think I think I said I would prepare something and I haven't. Get on it. It's your turn to do the coding one. Yeah. <laughs> well, then I'll see you uh, next week. Yeah. And our listeners, I will uh, see you next time. I'll not see them, hear them. They will hear us. And we can see you all through these microphones. <laughs> <laughs> right into your ear holes. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> Yes, so yeah, we'll, we'll uh, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm just now. I feel like I'm, I'm crumbling apart. <laughs> I'm, uh, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bye, Jake. Yeah. Bye. Okay. Bye. 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 bye.